Blog Talk Radio. From the Windy City to your city, courtside, the matchup you've been waiting for. A field of dreams for some and a long ride home for others. Sounding so good through the air, it's like you're right there. Folks, you want to score? People, she's got your game. It's the Maya Kai Show featuring comedian Nikki Braden. She is pretty funny with your host, Maya Kai. Radio never looks so good. you have chosen to tune in to Maya Kai Show Unplugged featuring me and Nikki Braden because you know our sole purpose, we are committed to helping you get your morning to the midday and we have an interesting show today, a little different. Of course, we always talk about some current topics going on, but we figured we kind of put some serious conversation on the table too, but obviously we're always able to laugh about it when it's all said and done, so it's not too serious. We like to give you a little bit of balance. We can't have you at work like absolutely just angry yeah. and not give you not giving you an outlet to release. So the show, how it's going to unfold today, as always, we start with what's trending, those hot topics and headlines everyone's talking about that have a local, national, or international focus. We kind of go local and national, not much international today, so, so to speak of. And we'll wrap up the first hour with the awful truth, and that is one I can't wait to dive in because we were just talking about it before the show went live. Um, I'm not going to tell you what that's about. I'll just kind of keep you on, yeah. you know, just on the edge of your seat, Let's like what, what's so interesting. Because I think people will have some very interesting comments about that. And then we'll kick off that second hour with the fringe. Those headlines that are trending, maybe not in your timeline, but we think they're worthy of being talked about. And then, of course, it's Wednesday, so it's time for What Would Nikki Say, where she goes four rounds toe-to-toe with your Abby, trying to give Wayward Soul some good advice. I kind of stayed, made it a family affair today okay in four rounds that okay. we go and then we'll wrap everything up with celebrity talk and the side eye with that being said without you there's no show and we love when you decide you want to interact you can always call in 310-807-5211 if social media is more of your comfort zone or it's just convenient i get it you're at work so maybe you can't you know be on the phone talking to your girl i get that you can always find me on facebook and twitter at the maya kai show nikki how can they connect with you I am Nikki Braden on Facebook. Screw Twitter. The Nikki Braden on Instagram. And the chat room is wide open. Happy hump day, my lovelies. Uh, see, Nikki is still boycotting <laughs> Twitter. I'm Twitter bitter. Twitter I am Twitter, Twitter bitter. I am Twitter bitter still. Still. <laughs> the first person I have ever known to be put in timeout by Twitter. That is so Only funny me. to me. How you managed to get that to you, I don't know. But either way. All right, all right, all right. So, We're going to stay consistent. We are celebrating the Aries. That is the zodiac sign that will pervade towards the almost towards the end of the month, at least through throughout April. What's in store for our Aries brethren today? All right. You're ecstatic about sharing your ideas today, expecting others to either wholeheartedly agree with you or just keep their opinions to themselves. But even if you're on the right track, you and your know-it-all approach could upset people who are threatened by your apparent lack of humility. Fortunately, you can quickly smooth out potential bumps in the road before you reach them by simply softening your tone. When you don't take yourself so seriously, others will follow your lead. A healthy dose of self-deprecation is your secret weapon of persuasion. All right, Aries, I'm just going to say this. Every single day is the same kind of thing, and the underlying tone of you guys is knock it off. (laughs) Knock it off. This sounds like the same exact thing I read on Monday. Knock it off. Jeez, something's going on. With, something's going on with the Aries. Aries, they're, they're something's feeling, going on. Uh, I, 
Yeah, obviously there's something within, you know, their celestial plane. They're feeling a little angry and aggressive, and others are like, hey, you need to calm down. All right, hey. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're in that – it's a change of season. You're coming out the winter solstice. You're now in the spring. You know, energy is kind of high a bit, you know, so I, I get it. All right, all right. Any good birthdays today? Anybody, you know, that like if you were born today, you're like, yeah, I share my birthday with so-and-so. Anybody good? If you were born today, March 30th, you share a birthday with Celine Dion. She is 48 today. Um, right. Richard Sherman is 28. Vincent okay. Van Gogh is dead, but he was born on March. He was born on March 30th. <laughs> MC uh, Hammer is 54. Eric Clapton okay. is 71. Hey, okay. Yep, all Eric right, Clapton is 71, and Nora Jones is 37 today. So you share birthdays oh, with so all of those quite wonderful a few people. Musicians. Happy birthday! Actually, a lot of a lot of a lot of musicians and born today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And actually, Vincent Van Gogh might be the epitome of what an Aries is. Um, he was a very tumultuous figure. Um, very yes. polarizing. Um, people thought he was a little eccentric and different. So he might, mm-hmm. when you just said that, he might be. <laughs> you can say that that is crazy. They just thought he was a he was crazy. They thought he was he did, bipolar he did and crazy. You can say but, it. <laughs> yeah, he did. But um, phenomenal painter. A phenomenal painter. Very yeah. interesting life. All right, all right, all right. So that's for our Aries brethren today. So go out and enjoy your day. If it's happy, your birthday, happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, let's jump right into you know what's trending. So the. What to me is sounding like a swan song, seriously, is coming to the end for Chicago State. Yeah. Um, on, when, on Monday we talked about how I, IIT is struggling with students that get funding from the MAP grant, and now they have to do specialized loans and things like that. So Chicago State mm-hmm. University is not the only university that's suffering from the budget stalemate here in Illinois and MAP grant money not coming out and things of that nature. But for whatever reason – they tend to be the conversation that's on the front burner. And I think it's really because, Nikki, out of all the schools that are affected by this, which are any state school that receives, you know, state funding, which can be your Illinois State, University of Illinois, any school like that that gets any kind of state funding, I think part of the reason that they are looked at or scrutinized more, because it seems like they really rely heavily on the state funding sure. to keep their doors open. Sure. So with that being said, we've seen all kinds of measures. We've seen protests. Um, there was even the bake sale didn't work. Tried. Yes, the, the bake sale didn't work out. On. The car wash. Yeah, the car okay. wash. That didn't work. Work okay. out the car wash did not work. And we <laughs> did we not say this? Did we not say? I did. These are I not did. these are not solutions that are going to solve this immediate or long term because all you're going to be able enough. to do right is raise money to keep they open a semester. But what happens the semester after that, and then a semester after that? And the key thing that we Correct. talked about. Is that, is that I would love to see Chicago State keep its doors open. It seems like they were really making a turn, and maybe I'm being a little biased since I do color commentary for the basketball team, but no, really. I know people who work there um, who mm-hmm. are involved with the university who are good people, and honestly, I know they have a past that's definitely covered with a lot of things that aren't positive, but they were really making good strides forward, and they had, they had turned the corner. They can't help what people did in the past. So they were turning the corner, and it definitely is a university that has a different purpose than your traditional university for a lot of Chicago students. It really, really served a purpose of a good place to go if you're coming from a junior college or a Chicago public school. It was working for a lot of people. It really was. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they didn't have a large population. So the budget doesn't get resolved. Money does not come in. No one has actually swooped in to say, let me save the day for Chicago State, interesting enough. And so now – Remember letters went out to faculty and staff that potentially layoffs could happen? Well, now yes, they're saying they are happening. that the Chicago State officials are telling all employees and students to turn in their keys. When you are told to turn in your keys, 
to any campus building or office you have by next week. That means once this spring semester closes, and they did say they were going to make sure the spring semester completed so students can complete their classes and things like that and graduation could happen. But when you're told to turn your keys in, that means the end is closed. There is normal room here. They have no money. They have absolutely they have, no money. But they knew that. Did you You wouldn't have had to tell me to turn in my keys. I was like, you got them. I get it. There's no way you can come back from a $36 million deficit. And even if you get $36 million, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have to keep this going. So it was inevitable from the beginning. I applaud all efforts to keep the doors open, but sometimes you just have to face reality and say this is the end. I mean, it's nothing they can do. Bake sales, car washes, that's not going to help. So, I knew it you know, was inevitable, and it's interesting because this has been a 10-month budget impasse that's been going on in Springfield yeah. and here. So 10 months ago, even though I guarantee you, most people probably really believed that the budget was going to get resolved. But no, if nothing else, okay. no way. If you, no way. If you are an Illinois resident, if you run an agency that's looking for state funding, if you have not realized that you have been put on notice that Bruce Rauner means to Correct. turn the state around by by any Correct. means necessary, and it's and it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt a lot of people who it shouldn't hurt, you better know now. Because at no Correct. point in time did he have any emotional moment to say, you know what, this school's been open for 148 years. It doesn't matter that maybe 50% of the time it's been open that it's been mismanaged and we've been giving funds and, you know, their turnarounds and their outcomes haven't been good. Because FYI, they're not the only school that doesn't have good outcomes. So let's just stop acting like they're sure. the only school that doesn't graduate every student that walks through their doors. You'll see that kind of attrition across the board. Some schools it's do better right. than others for whatever, for whatever reason. But he did, he did never change the tune that he was whistling. And I think that's interesting. And I think people, you need to pay attention. He did not have a sentimental moment where he felt like. He didn't. Maybe his I His position in his stance was like, students. go somewhere else. There are plenty of other schools, just go to another one. I mean, that when somebody says that, he has no empathy or sympathy for what you're going to. This is not the only school. It's not the last school. Just go to somewhere else. And that was the end of it. He didn't care about your financial situation. He didn't care if you were close to graduation. He didn't care about any of that. He was just like, go somewhere else. What's the big deal? So he had no you know, interest in keeping these doors open at all. One-third of the Chicago State budget was state funding, which is not good. That is not good at all. And I said, you know, cash flows, endowments, grants, those things are very important. And big universities yes. like Southern Illinois and University of Illinois. Alumni, alumni, alumni is important. But, yes. but they understand. They understand how you have to have that kind of, you know, reservoir of money there in Chicago State just for whatever reason never focused in those ways. Not to mention I don't know that they have the kind of alumni that can really afford to float them that way, but that's when you go right. look for endowment. Well, there's always mm-hmm. lots of different people who are philanthropic who are looking to give money to schools. We talked about how Arizona State has some free programs. And that all comes yes. from an endowment that they got, like some, some graduate programs. So you have to have a person that their sole purpose of the university is finding those types of endowments out there and bringing those to your school. And here's, here's how I see this. If they shut their doors, they're going to begin layoffs on April 30th, so literally today. Today is the day. Today is doomsday where you get your pink slip at work. And they're like, sorry, mm-hmm. don't come back. 30 days. Sad reality because, like I said, I know people. I mean, I mean you're like, 30 days from today, right, is where you might be getting right. noticed that you're out the door. And I know people who work there, and I'm like, this is so sad and so unfortunate because here's the, here's the awful truth in the second part of that segment, that if they close their doors, the chances of them reopening them are very Never. slim to none to me. 
No, ever. Because one, no. I mean, granted, it's not to say that people were going to run out and be able to get jobs somewhere else. That's not it. But it all comes down to now you have to find the monies. Not just that. You may lose your, into, your entire student population or let's say 50 to 60% of it. And if you do, Correct. there goes more dollars that you needed to come in the door. So when I say if they close their doors and students don't get to re-enroll for classes and come back, if they're serious about their academic career, they're just going to go somewhere else. Somewhere That's else. And Jen, because and even if they the did turn around, it won't be next semester. It won't, you understand yeah. what I mean? If they close these doors, it's going to take a very, very long time for them to recoup all the money, have a cash reserve, which I hope that they would have this time around if they should ever open their doors again. I hope they have some kind of cash reserve so this doesn't happen that's going to take a lot this is a lot of money we're talking about we're not talking about a couple thousand a couple hundred thousand we're talking millions and millions yes. of dollars to keep this millions school open dollars. so if they do it's going to take a while for them to recover so it'll be years well, yeah. before they can open and again it, and, it, and it's not just that it's like as a student if i have to change my career my, my education path and go to another school i'm not gonna i'm not gonna switch back because you open your doors let's just say no. you were able to reopen your doors come January of next year for the spring semester. I've already oh, began to finish my degree somewhere else, and I said no matter how the students feel about this. And, I, I mean, I hate right. to seem like I'm being non-supportive of Chicago State, but I'm going to be the advocate for the student. I would tell any student there right now, and, and trust me, it pains me to say this, but this is about us educating a generation of people to move forth to have viable careers. You now have to be right. selfish and think about yourself. I understand maybe you, you have, you know, the, the Chicago State may be nostalgic to you, but right now it can't be about that. You have to be selfish, and it has to be about you, and you now have to find a school where you can complete your degree and move on. And, yes, you may look back yeah. and feel sad about having to leave that school, but right now it has to be about you because nothing at this point can save that sinking ship. It's like the Titanic. There's plenty of lifeboats. Now you have to go get in one. In that case, there wasn't, but there is. This boat is sinking, and it's going to submerge. And I don't think there's anything anybody can do unless some really wealthy person swoops in and sees benefit to this. And I don't know as a wealthy person, even if you – let's say if I come in, let's just say – I'll throw something out there. Let's say Derek Rose. I'm not saying he has to, but I'm saying wealthy people in the area who may feel some kind of way about this. Let's say you have wealthy people from Chicago. So let's say Oprah, Derek Rose, Michael Jordan all swoop in you know, Vince Vaughn, whatever, for whatever reason, all swoop in. And said, I'm going to give five. I'm just throwing people out from Chicago, Gary Sinise, whoever, okay? I don't care. It doesn't have to be just black. It can be people from Chicago, okay? It doesn't have to be, like, just black athletes. I feel like I named only black oh, athletes. Okay. And then yeah. Oprah. And then, I get oh, you with Vince Vaughn. That was funny. But you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, yes, no, no, yes. You know, Eddie Vedder, whatever. Um, I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> Billy Corbin, I don't know, whatever. I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> even if all those people swooped in, I'll, even if an outside person, you know, swoops mm -hmm. in and gives 5000 apiece, guess what? That only keeps you afloat. Is that enough? Or maybe That's a year. Enough. No, no, let's say they all give five, five million, I'm sorry, five million apiece, okay? Let's say they have that kind of money. Yeah. That only keeps you afloat for a year. And here's the yeah, problem. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't solved your budget woes. All they've done, no. you put a Band-Aid on a gaping hole. Band-Aid, that's all it is. Because you still yeah. have to figure out ways, and I, here's my thing. I don't think in one year you can magically come up with money. You can't. You that takes time to write grants, to look for endowments. So my thing is there is no quick fix because, honestly, this needed to start 10 months ago. Actually, it needed to start years ago. But once years you have ago. Ten, years. Ten, 10 months ago, but years ago. So you're behind the eight ball, and this is why I say it's a sinking ship and it's going to submerge. And the only thing, the only way I could ever see if Chicago State some odd way managed to stay afloat, but I don't see it at this point, the only way I think that campus could ever stay open, seriously, is if they became a satellite campus for another school. 
say they possibly that's only with, that's all they can do. That's all they can right, do. Say they partner, but it has to be for another with, school. Right. Say they partner with like a Southern Illinois or a Western Illinois mm-hmm. or somebody like mm-hmm. that. I'm just throwing out a school, and they become like the Western Illinois Chicago State campus. To me, right. That's the only way that school stays open. But they're no longer Chicago State. They have now affiliated. Right with another school. That's the only way I can see them possibly staying afloat, and this all comes down to another school. Even though it's a, it's a Chicago campus, it's actually a really nice campus. They have invested a lot of money. It has grown over the last couple of years. So it's a beautiful campus with nice facilities. That part is there. Mm-hmm. So if someone's like, hmm, is this worth it? It's not, it's not run down. It looks good. It's got current amenities. So only if another school sees a, a reason to create like an affiliation with them, that's the only way I think they can stay open. That's, that's the only way I see this happening. I can't see it any other way. I just can't and see it. it well, so I don't I, think it can occur. So, you know, I say this, I feel bad for the students because now you have to switch to a new school, and that's a pain in the butt, no doubt about it, and you may have wanted to be at Chicago State, so it makes you sad. But I feel even worse for all the faculty and staff that's there because now they have to set forth and go look for new jobs. If you work in mm-hmm. education, let's be honest, Jobs aren't just oozing out the seams for you. They're not. Right. So, I mean, a right. lot of those professors and instructors are going to be in a really difficult position, and I feel bad because now they have no income whatsoever coming up. Yeah, it's not terrible. Not a good situation. So, but nothing less than what I think we expected. Another story that we talked about on Monday that's still trending, as we had talked about, Mayor Rahm Emanuel had appointed Eddie Johnson as the interim chief superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. Um, Going against what was the actual initial process that the Chicago Police Board had put into place. If you recall, they're supposed to get three candidates, and then from there he is supposed to either accept, reject, they go back to the board and bring in new candidates. Well, he pretty much didn't pick anybody they picked, and instead he just put his own person in place, Eddie Johnson, right. to, be the, the, to be the interim. Which, you know, a lot of people, and see, they're saying that people are going to protest this today. And to be honest, Nikki, I kind of get it, because my thing is, Rahm Emanuel, did you just put this man in place because he happens to be, one, a black man, two, he is a Chicago native, grew up in Cabrini Green, um, he's a chief of patrol within the Chicago Police Department, and according to what I've heard, he's very respected by other okay. officers and his peers. But here's my thing. Okay. If Eddie Johnson really wanted the job, why didn't he throw his, his, his hat into the ring? Hat, yeah. That's the thing that – so now people feel like, has this turned into another yes man? And when you hear things like, for instance, he is supported by many black aldermen, you now get a cringe response from many citizens because a lot of people now feel like many aldermen have forsaken their communities and feel like that doesn't mean anything because now we found out that lots of aldermen have signed off on payment to pay off, you know, lawsuits when officers have misbehaved with obviously Laquan McDonald being the top one. That's a key right. thing. A lot, a lot going on. So we're going to talk a bit about this because we're about to hit up against the break and it looks like the expert is going to walk is onto it? the floor Jason is it? Palmer, Could who it is be? a freelance reporter, writer <laughs> for the Chicago Crusader, who's probably going to speak a bit about Chicago State a bit more for us, as well as he will talk um, with Eddie Johnson. Let's go ahead and get into our break, and we'll come back, and Jason will join the show and fill in all blanks for us. Everybody, you're tuned in to the Maya Tyler Unplugged, featuring comedian Nikki Boyden, the tape. We'll be right back. Well, the man said we're going to start. Who gonna start it off? Who gonna start it off? And then he said, 
We gotta start it off. We gotta start it off. We gotta start it portion of the show. We always start local, national, and sometimes go international. Right now we're talking Chicago because that's local for us. We were just talking about Chicago State and about to lateral into talking about Eddie Johnson, who is the interim chief of police for Chicago. But it always, you know, we like to give you things like when news is breaking, if there's any kind of additional things we can share. Hot off the press, ear to the ground, and to hold our sources for this, who always really brings it and gives it to you in a way that's unbiased and just real. We've got Jason Coyt and Palmer, who is a freelance writer for the Chicago Crusader, who was just at Chicago State, who's going to fill us in with a bit more details that we didn't know about. And then we'll talk a bit more about Eddie Johnson in a way that he said some things I didn't know about. Welcome to the show, Jason. How are you doing this Wednesday? I'm doing great. How are you, Nikki, doing? Hi, Jason. All right, so uh, thank you for chiming in. So tell us a bit about Chicago State, what's going on. Yeah, let's just jump right into this. So I just left the campus uh, about 10 minutes ago. I was there most of the morning, as were a lot of the other media outlets. Um, So to fill you in, um, they did indeed ask uh, many university staff people and student leaders who have keys to offices and different uh, buildings throughout the campus to turn in their keys. Those keys are due to be turned in on Monday, this coming Monday. Mm-hmm. Oh, so wow. That is an ominous sign right there um, of what is getting ready to take place here. Um, I also spoke to this person, Thomas Logan. While he's been very vague in some details, he was very specific in saying that Chicago State will be absolutely dead broke, have no money left on April 30th. That is their so last that is day of having the, that's the any end. sort of money. Ab- that's absolutely that, positive. That April 30th, absolutely that's the it. will okay. be the end. Now, what makes that so strange, though, Nikki, is that while they're saying all this, 
they're going to start registration for summer and fall classes next week. So the question is, how can you do that if you already said you're going to have absolutely no money April 30th? How are you going to register, which in part is taking people's money, (laughs) for the summer and for the fall semester when you're saying you're not going to have any money after April 30th? They're not yeah, giving us I don't a definitive answer to that. Um, mm-hmm. They would not give us a definitive answer to that, but there is currently an um, an emergency meeting taking place right now between the president, um, CSU administrators, and people from the Office of Communications, uh, who are the people who do speak with us in the media and release the information. So I think right now they're trying to craft um, what actually they want the message to be put out to the public. Um, and how they're going to address these somewhat conflicting actions that they're taking. When you've moved the graduation up to to this month, when you've moved the end of the semester up to this month, and you say you're going to be out of money April 30th, what is, and you're having people turn in keys Monday, um, I, don't, I don't understand how you can ask people to register the classes. Um, the other thing, I spoke with an employee who chose to remain anonymous, and, and it needs to be said that, Everyone in that school right now is on edge. It is mm-hmm. a precarious situation. Chicago State is usually a pretty uh, lively campus, especially this time of the year. The weather's starting to break. You'll see the students hanging outside, eating, listening to music. The staff sure. is outside eating. That's not the case right now. It is like an absolute ghost town right now. It's like now. somber. Uh, people, yeah, people are walking around with their heads down. Um, I mm-hmm. spoke to one of the police officers who said, it's like we're walking through hell right now. Wow. Um, nobody knows about their job security. The students are effect, being affected in the classroom because they say their professors are stressed and it's coming across the way they try to teach. So it's a very uh, horrible situation up there right now. But when I spoke to one of these employees, um, the employee basically told me they have had a, a series of town hall meetings with staff and students at the school. And one of the mm-hmm. things they told them is that by April the 15th, Staff people who uh, all of them received layoff notices, all 900 employees. They all got that by back in February. But on April 15th, those who will be called back or retained, they will be notified on April 15th. So that is one scenario. The other scenario they have presented mm. to all the employees at the town hall meetings is that the school just will outright close, which means everybody will lose their job. And so what the employee told me, which is extremely disturbing, is that if the school closes and everybody loses their job, then that's one thing because we're all in the same boat. But if you do this where you're still going to be open, but say half of the staff doesn't come back, you've now created a situation in this environment where people are now backstabbing one another to try to make themselves look better so that they don't get their job cut. Um, and they also are having a question of, Who's going to make these decisions on who gets to come back and who doesn't? Well, wouldn't you go on tenure? Wouldn't that be the fair thing to do? If you could just go by tenure, that would seem like it would be the fair solution. That would be the fair solution, but we're talking about uh, uncharted waters, and we're talking about Chicago, and we also know fair and Chicago (laughs) don't go together. So it's probably going to be who is politically connected, who owes who Mm -hmm. a favor, who has yeah. this? And so that's what has everyone there on edge. It's not going to be the most deserving and the most qualified people who are allowed to stay. And so okay. that is right now creating a very toxic 
working environment is the way this person described it to me where, you know, people are, you know, scrambling. You know, everybody's trying to go for their own life preserver when they know it's only so many life preservers available. Um, so the entire uh, situation in Chicago State right now is just very dire. And just to, to chime in on what Maya said there near the end when you all were talking about this, and, and I've discussed this with you guys on the show, you know, being a CSU alum, even back in the late 90s, there were rumors that University of Illinois Chicago wanted the Chicago State campus, that they mm. wanted it to be their satellite campus. Ah. Now, while I can't prove it, could this be a possibility that all these events are happening just so that the state can limit the number of state universities they have <laughs> and perhaps oh, combine Jason. them all? You're Not just with Chicago like State. Conspiracy. Chicago State, but with Governor State, with Governor State, with Chicago State, with Northeastern Illinois, these are all smaller state universities. So right, would right. they all start partnering them up with perhaps University of Illinois and Champaign? Would Northern Illinois say, okay, we'll take Northeastern Illinois? Could UIC say, okay, well, we'll take Chicago State? Chicago State. This could Could be be. a possible scenario out there. Um, Let me ask you, Jason, let me ask you a question, though. So you talked to faculty and staff, and to me the the real thing that is important for me at this point, I would love for Chicago State to keep the doors open for lots of reasons. But I also think about the students because at the core of it, that's what this is really about is the students. Are the students, have they talked about being ready to make the hard decision like nobody? If you have good sense, should enroll for another semester at a school that you have no idea what the outcome Not is. At all. Did you talk to any of the students about what their plans are to do moving forward now that clearly there is no real resolution or no actual guarantee of what's next? I've, I've been talking with the students since perhaps January on this issue. There were a number of students when this situation first started going sour and people really started to understand about it maybe back in early January and they could still drop classes and not be penalized for it. There were students then dropping classes dropping. and okay. um, trying to get in other schools. There, there has been a quiet push. There are a lot of students who have left the campus already, students who are already looking for another school for next fall. And what a lot of them are doing is, is they're registering for summer classes at other universities in hopes of then being able to fully transfer into that university for the fall season, so uh, for the fall semester. So there are a number of students who are taking proactive. I spoke with one of the student Senate leaders um, named August Wilson. I've quoted him in uh, my story. And he has also said that um, some schools in other states, and I believe I may have even told you guys this before, some schools in other states are offering um, some Chicago State students' yes. tuition at an in-state yes. rate for that particular state, even though they live in Illinois. So there are options out there for the students. Um, there are, however, still those who are really want to stay at Chicago State. Maybe they only have one more semester or they're going into their last year or they just really love their school and, and well, what I'll it has done for them. And, and uh, I understand, but that's not – got to think about your academic career and your future and what you should not do is put that on hold. I get it's hard, but, okay, welcome to adulthood. This is what those hard decisions often are about. Speaking about difficult decisions, 
Let's talk a bit about Eddie Johnson, who is the new interim <laughs> superintendent of police Eddie. in Chicago that, let's just say, did not go through the process that people had came to understand was supposed to happen with the Chicago Police Board giving their recommendations to Mayor Rahm Emanuel and him either deciding or deferring and then them going back to the drawing board and bringing back more candidates. Instead, Mayor Emanuel goes and actually puts a guy into place Eddie Johnson, who's been on the force for 27 years, he's a chief of patrol, that did not have his hat in the ring for this position. And now people are not happy, and you're telling me some things about him that we may need to know. Who is Eddie Johnson? All right, so let's, let's really get into this and how this thing happened. Okay. This was not completely the mayor's call. That's the first thing we all need to understand. Basically, okay. Mayor Emanuel was put in a position where he didn't have a choice. There were a number of African-American aldermen. Uh, the main uh, people involved would be Alderman Howard Brookings and uh, Alderman Roger South, uh, Sawyer, who basically put the mayor in a position where they said, you know what, we're going to have a black police chief, and we're going to choose it, and then you're going to make the announcement. If oh. you notice, Eddie Johnson was the former commander of the Gresham District, which is the 6th District. That district includes Alderman Howard Brookings Ward and Alderman Roderick Sawyer's Ward. Hmm. These are the people who made this decision. Because they know we are dealing with a mayor who is injured in the African-American community, and he has to try to do whatever he can to get back into the good graces of the black community, he basically Correct. was put into a position where they told him, no, we don't, we don't like your three candidates. We don't like uh, how this thing has gone down. This is the guy who we want. This is the guy who we feel comfortable with. So basically it was a power play made by African-American aldermen with the assistance of a few Latino aldermen. Um, and the other part of that deal is that the guy who is currently the uh, uh, interim superintendent, Escalante, who the Latino alderman wanted to be the superintendent full time, if you notice, he got the position of second in command. This is how Chicago okay. politics works. They work. They well, work together. I will go on record. I will go on record and apologize to the mayor. <laughs> I owe him an apology because Monday I was not pleased with him. Thank you for shedding light on that. I owe him a, so, an apology. Yeah, so that's basically where that happened. But it's still concern, though, from the public, and we're not wrong in that, is that you all put a system in place. And whether it was the mayor who circumvented it or black alderman or Latino alderman, whoever, you circumvented the system. You had us go through this doggy pony show of you're going to do this nationwide search, and then the board was going right. to recommend three people, and then you all, and then the mayor was going to select one of these three, and then the aldermen were going to either approve or disapprove of the mayor's selection, and then we would go back to the drawing board. Then on Monday, we find out, okay, there's been a selection made, and there's none of the three people. The One of the guys who was the uh, head of the, of the law enforcement safety in DeKalb uh, County in Georgia he thought yes. he was a shoo for the job and went on record with the Channel 2 and said, the mayor told me I had the job, and then a day later he called me and said, you know, some things have changed and I don't have the job. And that's how mm -hmm. he basically found out about it. I thought he took the high road in his response, but this was a political power play move uh, made by black aldermen who, who themselves need to try to look 
good in the African American community because it's like, as Maya but, said, they're the ones that have signed off on a lot of these police misconduct cases. Exactly. And here's the problem. Right. So now it's coming out. No one really knew who Eddie Johnson was. We're hearing this background about being a Chicago guy, you know, grew up in Cabrini Green. Yay, Rob. Okay, exciting. But now we're hearing that he's making statements like in his 27 years <laughs> in being involved in the Chicago Police Department that he's never seen, he's never seen with his own eyes, police misconduct. Now, I would right. say, riddle me this, Batman, why in God's name would I want a man like that in a position like that if he's going to say something like that? That makes no sense. Well, and, and that, that is scaring a lot of people that comment. Um, I, I posted it on my social media sites today and it got a, a very rapid response. It's, it's, first of all, it's just not real. Okay, you've worked 27 years in this department, which is riddled with police misconduct. And police misconduct could be anything from um, talking to a citizen the wrong way unprofessionally to uh, shooting somebody. I mean, there's a whole range of police misconduct. You can't tell me you've been on that job for 27 years and you've never witnessed it. You cannot tell me in 27 years that you absolutely trust every person you've ever worked with. I work in the news media, so does Maya. There are journalists I know who do unscrupulous things all the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. For me to say, oh, no, that's not happening, or, or, or a journalist would never write this story because they're trying to get political favor with someone else, this stuff happens. You know, journalists do yes. plagiarism. All this stuff happens. So for him to say that, it takes away a lot of his credibility, one. Two, if he honestly has never had it, why would you take this job where you know it's full of police, you know, corruption? Well, I don't think you're not going to be able to handle it when you do see it. Well, my thing is, well, well, since you haven't seen it, will you recognize it? That's my concern. Exactly. So you've never seen exactly. it, but can you recognize it when you do, if and when you do? That's a huge concern for me. And if you do, how will you deal with it? Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that that you is know, the thing that this... the public really wants to know. Uh, we're We're not naive to think that, you know, starting today, there's going to be no police misconduct. I mean, you're talking about 10,000 officers. You're going to have people doing things. So it's going to happen. How are you going to deal with it? This just sounds like a lot of appeasement. Unfortunately, he kind of sounds like a yes man, which is not what Chicago needs right now. We but as don't I said, need that. I don't, I don't know who would be foolish enough to even want this job because it comes with a lot of baggage, controversy, and let's be honest, there's no way that any – superintendent here can be for the officers, be behind the fraternal order of police, and then also want to be held accountable by the citizens here in this city. It's almost not possible because it's been this way since the beginning of time that the police in Chicago have never really aligned with the people. It's always been about their own personal interests. As far as I'm concerned, you should have stuck with the process, and if you wanted Eddie Johnson to be in that role, and you should have put, said, put your, put your hat into the arena. We think you'd be a good mm-hmm. candidate. And let it play out the right way, opposed to, and I'm going to tell you this, Nikki, you let Rom off the hook, and I'm going to tell you something. Rom only does what Rom wants to do. And I'm going to say this clearly. He did this. So if this turns into a debacle, guess what happens? He's not really the sacrificial lamb. He'll say, I gave the people, specifically black people, what they asked for. So if it turns mm-hmm. out this guy is not advocating for his own people, why are you mad at me? Do you understand how this is probably a really bad idea, seriously? It's, it's an idea. absolute horrible yeah. idea. 
but it's an absolute horrible idea. But still, here's the thing. The process, what it sounds to me, if I'm understanding this correctly, it seems like they just cut down the process. Even if this Eddie Johnson guy threw his hat in the ring and then we went through the people and shaved down the candidates and still, isn't essentially it's up to the alderman and Rom to just pick? So maybe they just cut out all of this, like, why are we doing the horse and pony show? It, inevitably, it's up to us to pick whoever it is. We want this guy. Let's just do it now. I don't understand because the people don't get to choose. Inevitably, it's their decision. Jason, so they just cut Jason, right to the chase, it looks like. Jason, do you know why Eddie Johnson, I mean, any word of why he never considers this on his own accord? Um uh, obviously, he's been on the police force for a while. Any Anything about yeah. him that he wouldn't have said, hey, let me let me throw my hat in the ring. I think I can do this. Right. Well, at the press conference, which was cut short, let's let's say that, um, we had a multitude of questions as the reporting pool that we wanted to ask, you know, new interim superintendent Johnson. We weren't allowed to do so, um, which also gives me great concern, which also has my spidey senses tingling as a reporter. I mean, I've been to a bunch of press conferences. I know when one is orchestrated. I know when... One is to inform the public. Um, you can tell by the people who usually standing on the sidelines giving cues to the people at the podium, oh, we can only take time for two more questions. You know, when it's something that they really don't want a lot of questions asked about, they do a quick fast, get them up there, and then give them the hook and get them off the stage so we can get up out of here. There are a lot of questions about this guy. I think over time, we will get those answers. The problem is what's going to happen during that time when we get these answers. I think there right. is reason for concern. Um, there is. Even as we try to be somewhat optimistic about this, there are already red flags going up two days later. You know, and one thing about this mayor throughout his tenure that we have noticed, he has no problem using people. Um, I think the best example of that was the former um, uh, CEO of the Chicago Public School, uh, Jean-Claude Brazard, the guy they brought in from New York before right. they brought in the criminal, before they brought in the criminal lady, Dr. Barbara Burr Bennett. There was right. Jean-Claude Brazard. <laughs> the thief. And, before they brought in the know, thief. <laughs> and he basically threw Brazard under the bus and made him be the fall guy for the last teacher strike that we had and blamed him for not being able to come to terms of negotiation with the teachers' union. Um, this is just what Rahm Emanuel does. He's like every other king politician. They have people who are willing to fall on the sword for him. Um, right. you, know, right. if, you know, from what I'm hearing, while McCarthy probably did need to go, the person who really is in charge in a lot of this police misconduct stuff and, and what can be charged and, and what they can do to fire officers is actually not – the the superintendent is actually Steve Patton, who is the, uh, the of course, the lawyer, the city lawyer, the, the corporation counsel. He actually has you know a lot Jason, more power. Jason, it's, it's a collective thing because when these charges come about, you have what would stand to be a panel of people that are aware yeah. of the situation from the mayor to the aldermen who all have to listen all the way to down. What, Patton, down. what Patton has to say, and they either say, hmm, yay or nay. So it's collectively, this is why I want people to understand the process. Choosing a sacrificial lamb doesn't change the situation. So you get rid of Gary McCarthy, but ultimately, whether he failed or, or he didn't, there were other people from the mayor to the alderman to Patton himself who all failed. 
So you have to hold everyone accountable. And obviously with that being said, we've got a caller who has a question. And, Jason, before I let you go, because the question may be for you, let's bring our okay. caller to the line. Welcome to the Maya Kai Show Unplugged, featuring comedian Nikki Brayton from the 209. Do you have a question or comment? Ooh, I guess I scared him. He hung up. You, she hung he up. was like, know. oops, I'm All sorry. Right. <laughs> okay. Do you know what the question <laughs> was? I don't know. No, no, no he said he was sorry. Sorry, no, I don't want to have a question. All right, that's fine, that's fine. All right, Jason, as always, you, you enlighten us with good stuff. Thank you for calling in. I know you were coming right off the fly from Chicago State, so thank you for calling into the show and sharing. If my listeners want to follow you and kind of keep abreast of these things that are going on, where can they find you? Follow me on Twitter at jcoyden, J-A-Y-C-O-Y-D-E-N. Uh, you can view my work on the Chicago Crusader website, chicagocrusader.com. And I'm just getting this breaking news as I'm on with you. There is a protest being planned um, around Eddie Johnson's appointment as mm-hmm. interim superintendent. A group plans yes. to protest the mayor's choice as the city's top cop uh, tomorrow. All right, okay. we'll see how that unfolds. Thank we'll you, Jason. Talk about that on Friday. So perhaps we'll have you back on Friday. All right, <laughs> Jason, have a good Wednesday. I'm sure we'll talk to you on Friday then. All right, be well. <laughs> all right. All right, so, hey, what's trending? It was all Chicago today, but I'm actually going to modify the show. Normally we take a break, and because we went a little over with that segment, the next segment really kind of rolls right into this. I want to talk about if you feel that what happens in, in Chicago is unique, it's really not. And he actually did a great, a, a, did a great segue into talking about what happened with Chicago public schools. Well, yes. I want to tell you how, and the reason I want to talk about this story, because it blew me away. And I, always, I hate to say this, but at the same time, I don't. People who look like you don't always advocate for you. They're not for And I you. think people need to come to understand that you cannot always be a cohesive unit because some people just don't have your best interests in heart. With that being said, we're going to move over to the awful truth and talk about something that's happening in Detroit that looks so much like Chicago, it's crazy. You're tuned in to the Maya Kai Show on Plus Feature and comedian Nikki Brighton. We're about to get into the awful truth. The Detroit public school system is in trouble. The district is broke, school conditions are terrible, teachers are leaving, and now principals are being accused of conspiracy. On Tuesday, federal officials announced bribery charges against a dozen former and current principals and an assistant superintendent for their illegal involvement with the school supplies vendor. The criminal charges allege principals from Detroit public schools were awarded a total of over $900,000 in kickbacks and bribes in exchange for business with Allstate Sales. Norman Shy, the owner of Allstate Sales, is also charged and at the center of this case. Shy allegedly rewarded principals with gift cards, cash, and checks when they used his company as a vendor for supplies, supplies that were often never delivered. One of the principals named in the conspiracy is this man, Ronald Alexander. His name might sound familiar because last month, TV show host Ellen DeGeneres donated half a million dollars to his school, Spain Elementary Middle School, to help it afford new technology and building repairs. Of all the people in the whole world, I am the happiest principal on earth. Well, after a two-year investigation, officials say Alexander accepted $23,000 illegally. If there is a message today that it may seem easy to take a bribe, but I'll tell you what, it's also easy to get caught, and we will catch you and hold you accountable. In total, officials say Allstate sales cheated Detroit public schools out of $2.7 million. Each of the defendants named Tuesday could face up to five years in prison and fines of up to $250,000. For Newsy, 
I'm Katie Link. All right. Well, we'll call it an abbreviated break, a little different than what we normally do. I figure, you know what? We don't need any music. We need to keep right on rolling with the conversation because Jason just set that segment up so great. So that was a clip from Newsy, which is an online outlet that covers all kinds of different stories from around the country, the world, so on and so forth, talking about how the feds have brought charges against 12 different Detroit school principals for bribery, that they were working specifically with a vendor they had, and were getting kickbacks, everything from gift cards, cash, et cetera, when they would use this vendor for school supplies, which is interesting enough that were being paid for by the Chicago, I'm sorry, by Detroit public schools and often weren't even delivered. So hence, not only were you getting kickbacks, you know, those right. favors, things that are not allowed, that usually are written in, which you cannot do, obviously, as an administrator, but you didn't even make sure what was being paid for by Detroit public schools was even being received. And I'm going to tell you what. The vendor, I guarantee you, the vendor of this, he knew he had them in a corner. So whether he delivered or not, Nikki, once they accepted anything from him, he really had them mm-hmm. like kind of squared off like, what are you going to do, complain about me? I now have something on you because right. I've been paying you, and I can show I've been giving gift cards and special gifts. So at that point, he was really the person that was in the upside of this position of power. But it's so sad because you have Detroit, the brink of bankruptcy, a city itself that has spiraled over the last 30 to 40 years that has city blocks and city blocks of abandoned buildings that abandoned, have left yes. the city. Just an yes. awful situation. And here it is again, the exploitation of who? Children. The future. Children. Change. I just don't understand. And I'm going to tell you this. Many of those faces and these charges that are coming up are black faces, people. So I need for everyone to stop acting like because you put a black person in, in a position of power, all of a sudden, it's going to make your situation better. What do they say? Absolute power corrupts. Corruption is absolute power. That's it. It doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So Eddie Johnson's example doesn't make the situation better. Just because you put black people in positions, it doesn't matter. And the guy who took the money from Ellen DeGeneres, are you kidding me? This is, this is, my, yeah, this is my issue. This is Ronald my Alexander, issue. Like, I don't, everybody doesn't have the same agenda. Now. I don't. That, that's ridiculous. Here's the thing: you can't go on national TV and take money from Ellen DeGeneres and not expect anybody to go, "Hey, where is it?" And I don't understand why they won't take a page out of Chicago's books. We've seen this over and over, and there has not been a soul that hasn't got caught. Because what the deal is that people may miss a thousand dollars, people may miss a hundred and fifty dollars. Nobody's going to miss millions and millions of dollars. Eventually, two point seven million dollars. Somebody's going to come and look for that. So I don't even understand how people can think that they can get away with something like this at the expense of, like you said, all things, the children in the school system is disheartening. It's very disheartening because, you know, we've gotten to the point. I mean, why this bothers me is that what I see over and over, we always know that impoverished places that people often don't care about the education system. And, and part sure. of the reason you see a spike in crime is because when there is no hope left, you really don't if – if you don't care about you, you're not going to care about somebody else. You're thinking about anybody empathy. else. If there is no self-efficacy for you, that's it. It's done because you feel you have mm-hmm. no future. And let's put it this way. Sure. We just talked about the Chicago public schools with their one-day strike. The message you're sending to the kids, adults, is that nobody cares about me at home. Clearly nobody cares about me at school. So what does it matter? You're sending them right. a message that's absolutely about destitute. Seriously. This is ridiculous. Yeah. We saw the same issue would happen in Chicago public schools with the payoffs to the, to the CEO. Once again, mm-hmm. 
just taking money with no one. It was a person who looked like the very people that she was taking advantage of. I need for people to wake up on this. This is why it's the awful truth. Everyone who looks like you is not going to advocate for you. So we need to stop behaving as if because somebody is black, they really care about what happens to you. Most of the time, folks, they don't, especially if they're not lateral to you. If they're above you in right. any way, shape, or form, I'm not saying all people that are successful are corrupt, but a lot of them are, and they just don't care. They don't care what happens. And if it's a way to have their hand in the pot, if there's a way to have their hand in the pot, mm. absolutely, people. I mean, that's just human nature. Most people will probably do that. If it's a way, but people keep going in the cookie jar, and eventually that's how everybody gets caught inevitably because somebody's going to figure it out because people get greedy. People get greedy, and this is how it all blows over, and it ends the same way. It's the same story with the same ending every single time. No matter what state you're in, no matter what city you're in, it's the same ending every single time this happens. You know, and I just need for people to wake up. And, and I think the part that's really disjointed about this, even if people, let's say, wake up and realize what's going on. I told you the thing that bothered me about Flint. And I said, you can send as many bottles of water as you want. And let me tell you what doesn't change. The fact those people felt so powerless, they did nothing. And I'm going to keep saying this, and I'm never going to stop saying, stop telling people who are disadvantaged or poor they have no power. Because now they believe it, and they'll accept anything. They'll accept anything for Mm -hmm. themselves. They'll accept anything for their children. You always have a voice. As long as you have a voice, you have something. Don't let anybody make you feel like you have nothing because then you'll accept anything someone throws your way because you've just thrown in the towel. All it took is one sample of water to the EPA, seriously. But I guess, again, again, if you don't know who the EPA is, I guess you don't know who to send the the sample to. I don't know. That still boggles me. I'm like, that still boggles me. I'm like, the first turn of the faucet is brown. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, you can't convince me that this is okay. I don't even know what that was about, powerless or not, poor or not. You have got to say something. So unless these people were saying something and everybody was like, I don't care, that made them feel like that. But I refuse to believe that people just accepted that because that's just swill. That's still you have Bobby. to understand, and once again, I'm probably asking something. I don't know all the people in Flint, so I'm not going to assume that everybody doesn't have the ability to understand right. the process. At some point when you need to advocate for yourself, here's what I think is interesting. In the current climate that social media has so much power and so much influence, people will put up, look at my new butt injection, um, <laughs> booty, booty to the back, take a picture of that, all that kind of crazy stuff that means nothing, nothing to anybody. But yet, taking one picture of a vial of water and saying, can you believe this came out my faucet? And we've been talking to the city about this for months, and nothing has happened. That goes viral, and everybody's like, what the hell is going on in Flint besides booty dropping? Seriously. And I'm not just being mean about Flint and people not using social media appropriately, but do you see, I mean, how people don't understand how you do have a tool that, even though sometimes social media annoys me, and we'll talk about that in the, in the back end of the show, about something that happened on social media. We'll talk a bit about that. But it's powerful when used in the right way. And at the same time, it can be annoying, and it can be overkill, yeah. and often misused yeah. and abused. But for that one moment, I know there was somebody in Flint, in Flint who's not wealthy, but who's on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're everywhere. One picture of that sure. bottle of water, because believe it or not, the government stalks social media. Every agency from the CDC, the EPA, the FBI, the CIA, they're all over social media. Somebody mm-hmm. would have picked that up, and it could have been the difference of what you've seen, how Flint turned into what it turned into. But instead, we want to use social media for things that don't matter. We have to start to get people to think differently, but I don't know how we reprogram people, Nikki, to understand. I don't 
That's the issue. That you're missing the book. You, you don't have to be a victim. I'm not saying you're always going to be in power and things are always going to work for you, but advocate for you as much as you can so you can't do it anymore. I guess it's easy said and done. That's got to be what it is because the mindset isn't there. But it's just really sad. I guess so. That you, that the thing with Ronald Alexander taking the money from Ellen DeGeneres, over $500,000, and the whole time he's getting these kickbacks. And I'm looking at this black man's face, and I'm like, if I was anywhere near you, I would probably punch you in the face. Maya's um, cycle of violence is continuing on Wednesday because on Monday I punched everybody in the face, so I'm going to continue it today. Even though I'm getting my wusa on and burning my green candle, I still get angry when people take advantage of people. I really do. I- I'm serious. You're in a position where you can make a difference to young lives, the difference maybe between somebody being incarcerated or somebody deciding that they want to be in a gang, whatever the case may be. And instead, you're taking side money? Are you kidding me? And then you go on national TV and act like you're the most caring individual. And I'm going to tell you what this does. People look at people like Raul Alexander and say, see what I mean? See? See, you give black yes. people something. And you see what now, they Ellen's do. not giving no. money to anybody else. Hopefully she doesn't hold no, this against no, everybody no. else that needs it. But now no, I would I look don't. at everybody with a side eye, too. You understand? But I'm just saying, there's a double standard here. Because when black people do things like this, here's what gets added to the narrative. See what happens when you give black people stuff? Do you see what happens? Uh, they kill think. each other. No, I'm telling you, Nikki, I'm telling you how the undercurrent works for people. They're not going to say I know it out the loud. undercurrent, but it's so terrible. But they're going to say, see what happens? Not only are they killing themselves, see how they sponge off of each other, but yet they're mad at the rest of the world. That's the awful truth. No one might say that, but you better believe that thought has crossed a million minds right about now. A million minds. Seriously. The I is know. Ridiculous. I Let's agree. Let's and talk about another awful truth. <laughs> so by now, I'm sure everybody has heard about what happened at San Francisco, San, Fran, San Francisco State University. There's a oh, video that has gone girl. viral about oh, a black girl. student, a black female, along with a friend, approaching a white male who happens to have, what I almost said the wrong thing, dreadlocks. I was about to say something totally different. <laughs> it was rude. See? I, just <laughs> I don't even know. Hand, I don't even know. Because sort of, I was going to give a description, and then I would have sounded like Juliana Rancic, and that would have been wrong. So that's why yeah, I caught myself before yeah. I said it. But you I'm trying to work yeah, on don't it. do that. Yeah, yeah, don't no, do no, that. Yeah, I'm trying to work on it. But with that <laughs> being said, she walks up to this white student and begins to give him a hard time about having dreadlocks and obviously accuses him of cultural appropriation, which we know Amanda Stenberg really got all over this about how other cultures take things that are very unique to black people, just in case you don't know what cultural appropriation is, things like, you know, yes. hair, like braids, music stuff, lip injections. Lips injection, yeah. butt injections, all that kind of stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, black people have those things, and either they're demonized for it or marginalized or made to feel that it's not good enough, and then people outside their culture take it and use it, and all of a sudden it's like the it thing. It's cool. So yeah, it's, it's cool. become a big conversation, especially among, I would say, younger individuals. It's become a big conversation. Mm-hmm. It really has. So this young lady walks up to this white male student who has dreadlocks and begins to give him the third degree about his dreadlocks, you're culturally appropriating, and just goes in on him. Of course, this video goes viral. Um, the university gets a hold of it, and now they're investigating the whole situation. So beyond that, whatever the outcome is, what's your thoughts on that? So she walks up, and she doesn't like the fact he's got dreads. Can't so do now- that. Can't do that. Can't do it. I mean, you cannot do that. You absolutely. First of all, you don't have a right or a claim 
to a hairstyle, and I I understand I understand that. And for me, when it comes to hair and like all all of that, I mean, to each his own. I'm really we have first of all we have bigger fish to fry. To me, the cultural appropriation that I would absolutely call somebody out on is, and I hate this, is the, yo, what's up? And I'm like, why are you talking to me like that? Like, I ha- I will say something about that. Like, let's not do that. You know, that's kind of, you're mocking me. Like, I don't speak like that. And so I hate when people do that. I think hairstyles and everything that's personal and your style, you don't, ha- we don't have a right, and you don't have a right to chastise somebody about that because it's technically not yours. You understand what I mean? She had absolutely no right to just randomly walk up to somebody and call them out on their hairstyle. You you know what I mean? That's wrong. You can't do that. Whether you like it or not, you just can't do that. That's a personal choice, and everybody gets to have one. You you don't own somebody else's personal choice. You can't do that. So that I'm was wrong. I'm with you on this. And, you know, I, I get that, yes, we, we've seen cultural appropriations. We can go back decades talking about everything sure. from music, um, sure. you know, obviously hairstyle. I, mean, I remember looking at Bo Derek when I was a kid, like, why has she got braids? Yes. I remember mm-hmm. – Look at her like, yeah. that's different. I mean, I was, somehow I didn't get overly involved in the thought, but I just thought it was different. But it was really hot. And that, that's probably the one picture of Bo Derek coming out of the ocean with her, like, you know, braids yeah. and her beads. Everybody, that was one of the most popular yes, everybody. Everybody remembers yeah. that. I wasn't honestly thinking about cultural appropriation as a kid. I was just like, that's different. But, I mean, whatever. I just I, I passed it up. Part of what I want to put on the table, yes, it is offensive when you feel like other people are benefiting from black culture in a way that black culture sometimes can't benefit from it itself. I get that. I totally get that conversation. But are we mm-hmm. supposed to get to a point in this country where if we're going to truly embrace the melting pot theory, isn't it supposed to be about an exchange of culture? And part of that culture gets infused into dominant or popular culture. Isn't that – and that's part of what has happened. Some things flow into popular and dominant culture and is accepted, whether it's music, whether it's now lip injections or butt injections, whatever it is. It gets infused into the culture because, in my mind, that's always been what this country was going to evolve to, for better or worse, whether you like it or not, whether you totally hate the fact that you feel like black people can't benefit from things that come from black culture, and I get that. I totally understand that. But at the same time, that immersion is always going to happen, and I don't know how, as a culture, we can ever probably be okay with it. I'll be honest because – Let's be honest. When they, people got mad at Katy Perry in her video, remember when she had on like the grill yes. and the braids and stuff? She had a watermelon. I was like, I was like all, oh, she, you're doing too much. I'm like, you're doing too yeah, much. Yeah. I'll be honest. A watermelon? Actually, I was like, you're doing too looked, much. Yeah, yeah, she looked ridiculous. But I'll be honest. Yeah. That imagery did not make Katy Perry popular. Was that her way of trying to connect to different audiences, or was she poking fun at black people? I don't know. I don't know Katy Perry. Right. Sometimes people do things, and they make the assumption it's going to give them a cultural connection to somebody, and it doesn't. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's offensive. Yes. You'd be surprised the amount of people who don't know where to draw the line of when, okay, we see it all the time. You've got friends outside your culture, and they're like, hey, girlfriend, what's up? And I'm like, hello, how are you doing? No, really. That's like, what I mean. Yeah, I'm like, that's that, that. when you speak to me in that manner, I'm like, don't talk to me like that. The yo-yo and what up, girl. I'm like, why are you talking to me like yes. that? Don't do that. Like, to me, that's mocking. That's a line. That's not taking some of our culture and it's like a part of, of popular culture. To me, it's like, are you mocking me or do you think we're going to connect this way? Because you're way off base if you think that's so. And I don't think people really know that. I think see, sometimes people get confused I, on that. Yes, and I think that's why we need to have that education piece with people like, I feel like we talk about it within our circle, but we never step outside our circle and say, excuse me, white people. I don't mean this mean. Even that movie, 
um, Dear White People came out, which was supposed to help mm-hmm. them understand, but it didn't really get the traction it was supposed to. But I think sometimes sure. people in positions like Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, people who can – I think comedians are the best people to deliver this kind of information because you can put it in a joke and, not, and make it a bit more palatable because what you don't want to do is right. beat people over the head and make them feel like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I did something bad. Sometimes I think you need to approach people in a way like, okay, not funny. Like, hi, how are you doing? And they'll stop and look at right. you like, oh, my – and then they do, my bad. I'm like <laughs> – Right. Once again, yeah. my bad has become a term that everybody uses, and it's cultural appropriation. Clearly it is. But when they say it, they understand the meaning of it, and that's why they use it. So I'm like, let's not get overly sensitive unless it's true exploitation. This young white boy having dreads, I don't know why he chose to do it. I have no idea what his motive First is. First of all, he looks homeless. He... So it's not even like he did it and was trying to look fly. <laughs> he looks homeless, so he didn't even rock it right. So I was like, go ahead with that, because I don't even think he was trying to appropriate. I was like, he looks really homeless. I don't homeless. know what he was doing. So so I'm he, say, so let's I was not like, be too... Let's yeah. not be too sensitive, and let's maybe put... Let's turn the lens around and look at, okay, this person doing it. Are they poking fun at the culture? Have they immersed it into their life for some reason that I don't understand? Because a lack of understanding and dialogue is why we are exactly where we are. So before we point the finger, let's just take a little bit of time, step back, and listen. Before we I mean, to be honest, to you just got to be – we allowed our culture to be exploited. If you just really know, we're the only culture that really gets exploited like we do. Nobody appropriates everybody else in every other culture. Not like this. Wait, 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 wait. Not like this. Wait, wait, wait. wait, 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 wait. No, I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to disagree with that. In the chat room, I see you in there. Fred from Cali, I see you in there. Guest, 1070, whatever that means. I see you. 209, I see you came back. You hung up on me. You made me feel bad, but it's okay. You came back. That's, that's Fred good. again. That's Fred. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's pushing buttons. He's calling. He's making bacon. He does. He's all over the place. Fred just needs to do one thing at a time. That's what Fred needs to do. Love Fred you, needs Fred. to pick a spot anyway, and stay in it. Wait, type in what are your thoughts on this. Here's my thing. Why I say we don't we don't appropriate other cultures, and this is me. This is why I say I am a cultural and sports analyst because I really look at things in a different perspective, and I really have dug into a lot of cultural stuff. That one. When you are the dominant culture, like European culture, is the, it's, it's the norm. It's the basis of what the country was built on. So you assimilate, not appropriate, sure. culture right. because that's the norm. Sure. So the opposite is when you get other people from other cultures come along and you choose it. For instance, we have Americanized every form of cuisine you could have from other countries. Like Taco Bell, that's why people got mad when they said take a run for the border. Because that's why everyone's like, this is not authentic Mexican food, but it's not meant to be. Because right. it's taking something and making a variation of it that that's reflective of it being assimilated. So that's why I say before you get really kind of built out of shape, it's always going to absorb from other cultures, which I think it should. The downside for black people is, and why it was bad was this. Let's take music, for instance. Elvis Presley, who people, white people yes. love Elvis Presley, he went into so many black areas and plus songs yes. and his movement. He, he watched black performers and took that back to white masses, and they thought, oh, my God, this guy is so – he's so cutting edge. He's so raw. He's so different, not realizing he had robbed black people for it. Okay, musically, right. James Brown was one of the few people in Chuck Berry that was like, uh-uh, nope, 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 I'm going to own this, and they did, and they owned it. Correct. So musically, we've always, we've always dealt with appropriation. I would say that's the one area. But beyond that, like hairstyles, people have been braiding hair, Nikki, since the beginning of time. People have been dreadlocking in other places since the beginning of time. So I'm I know not that. sure what we can draw the line about 
when you start putting beads, but I don't know how other. My point is, I don't know how other cultures do it because we don't walk around with the Mexican cultures and we don't wear ponchos and sombreros all the time and think it's cool. You don't just see people doing that unless they're like in Mexico. But you just don't see people doing that kind of thing and and doing that with other cultures except for ours. Everybody has their hand in our culture, and we don't treat other cultures like that. But Nikki, we're part of the and I'm just asking why. Look at look at look at this way. Beyond every other country, okay, we're not immigrants. I mean, we are, but we're not. We're we're involuntary. We're involuntary immigrants. I say that all the time. We were brought over here, so so we we were part. um, Yes, (laughs) accommodation sucks, by the way. (laughs) But we were brought here, so our our stitching into the American fabric is different than any other immigrant group that comes here. Because one, they tend to be on the the European spectrum, unless you happen to be um, from a Latino country. But you're still technically, depending upon where you're from still part of the diaspora of Europeans. That's just part, like it's an African diaspora. So we're different because how we are immersed in this country is different. So that's why our relationship is, it's so tumultuous, but at the same time, should we fight when people like what we do? My problem is, I don't have an issue when you like what we do. I have a problem. Don't exploit it. Wait, 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 wait. Let me finish. I have a problem when you have a problem when I do what I'm supposed to do and you think something's wrong with it. That's when I have a problem with it. I don't don't have a problem with people liking things that come from black culture, but don't give black people a side eye when they are the people who are doing it. That's where the problem comes in for me. So if I got big bucks, a big butt and big lips, it's not necessarily all that attractive. But then everybody else can go get it and get a tan but it's attractive. That's the problem I have with it. That's when it's not an even exchange that's fair. That's it. We agree. The conversation will go on. We will always be appropriated. We will keep assimilating, and the world will keep turning, folks, Um, and people will keep going to jail for these bad things. The moral of the story is you can't stop white people for dreadlocks. Let's not do that. We got bigger (laughs) fish to fry, and and let's not do that. You can't do that. Look, the spray can is an epidemic, folks. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) You know what? Find something else to focus on that really matters. All right, and that's just the awful truth. All right, we are already into the second hour, a bit behind, but it's still been good stuff. So we come back, we're going to jump into the fringe, those headlines that are trending just maybe not in your time. All right, so tight.
the second hour, the Maya Kai Show Unplugged, featuring comedian Nikki Braden. Remember, we're on every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you ever miss a show, never fear. You can always go to my blog talk page. Our episodes are there. Or if you happen to be an Apple person, you can go to the iTunes store, the podcast section, and search Maya Akai Presents. Or just go to my website, mayaakai.com, and voila, everything in regards to the show is there. If you'd like to weigh in on our conversation, I'm enjoying all the input. Callers and the chat room is active. You can always call in 310-807-5211. Remember, when your hand is up, it means you hit the one button. That tells me you have something you want to say. Otherwise, I think you're just listening to the show. Of course, if you want to get social, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at The Maya Kai Show. Nikki, how can they connect with you if they have something to say? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook. I'm still Twitter bitter, but I am the Nikki Braden on Instagram. And there's a party in the chat room. Come join us. She's in Twitter detention. <laughs> First time. Go figure. I've never heard of it before. All right. We are going to talk the fringe, those hot topics and headlines. But, you know, there's so many places where news is posted. That is the beauty of the Internet. So you can't always collect it all. So we like to pull a couple stories in that we think are worth talking about that may not be trending in your timeline that, you know, we're going to chat about. So, Okay, yeah. this first story is a prime example of using your power in the wrong way. And this really kind of ticked me off. So there's a story that's coming out of New York City, Manhattan, that happened on mm-hmm. Tuesday. You have this young man who was being convicted of attempted murder. And okay. during the trial, Justice Edward McLaughlin tells 24-year-old Tariq Arnold, you know, black lives matter. He goes, I've heard it. In fact, you know, it's sad. But he went on to say, but black lives don't matter to black people with guns. Okay. Let me, let me just say this, because obviously Arnold shot um, a rival gang member, ended up killing him. So, I mean, black on black, crime. Okay. I just want somebody to tell me the relevance. And this is why this, I'm telling you, Nikki, this rhetoric is everywhere. A lot of people are like, yeah, you talk about police shootings, but you people over there can't stop shooting yeah. each other. So doesn't yeah. it seem like you're turning a blind eye to a bigger issue in your community because more people die at your own hands than yours? But I just don't feel that Justice McLaughlin had the right to say it at that particular time. Am I being overly sensitive about that? You are. Um, you see, he can say whatever he wants because it's the truth. You, you are, indeed you are. He can say whatever he wants to and it's the truth. Look, you you have to get the message across. And, and they're not related, but it is an underlying rhetoric that other people tend to have. And for me, I want people to know these, these are two different things. The Black Lives Matter is Strictly in regard to the police, but it's still we still have this issue, and we're very, very aware of it. My point is we don't need help. We have enough going on, and we don't need help dying at the hands of of all people, the police. So I don't. I think you're being overly sensitive. He can say that, and he's absolutely right to say that. He's probably sick and tired of seeing black man after black man after black man coming in for killing other black men. You probably know how many he sees per day, per week, per month, per year while he's sitting on the bench. I. You you don't want to hear it, but he said it. And I just he, I, I don't I don't true. think it's relevant. It's I don't true. think it's relevant to the trial. It's not okay. A lot of things are true in this world, but it doesn't mean you insert them into every conversation. It'd be like if you had a woman who say that a man who was on trial for sexual assault, and mm-hmm. the judge let's say the man is found guilty, but then the judge proceeds to give this you know soliloquy about. It is wrong to sexually assault women. It's out of place. But we also live in a society where 
there's a lot of provocative behavior and visually people are overstimulated and people need to start rethinking sometimes it's how you package yourself that can make you a victim. And we need to well, stop it that. Sounds like, no, that well, now you're, you're blaming the victim hey, hey, hey. then. I don't blame the victim. I'm just making a general statement and saying that we need to be mindful sometimes of how we present ourselves because though we are being expressive of ourselves, somebody might be out there looking to exploit you that doesn't have the right attention. We need to get back to simpler, more modest times. It's a dialogue. That, was, that sounds like that was a soliloquy on blaming the victim. It just sounds like even though we're provoked, that, he didn't do that. No point of time. He didn't do that. No point of time. He didn't either. No point of time did I say what I just said. It's your fault that you were sexually assaulted. But what I insinuated without saying it is it's your fault. Let's stay at the task at hand. You shot another person. You happen to both be black, and it was gang-related. So how about you talk more about how gang violence is not acceptable and extinguishing a life is not the way to resolve an issue opposed to jumping into something with, by the way, Justice McLaughlin is white. He's not black. So he's speaking to something right. that he doesn't understand the history within the community that has led to this kind of violence. So I think he needs to stay in his lane and just issue the verdict and not speak to something that you think you know something about because you don't. And, yes, it is what he said is true, but there's a backdrop to that story, Nikki. That's not, it's just not that clear, cut, and dry. It's not. It's not that – I mean, it, of course, it's a backdrop, but I don't think that's the issue. A lot of black people say the same things. People in Chicago all the time on social media, every time it's like, okay, look, we need to handle this. We kill each other more than the police. We need – black people say it. It is just the truth, whether he knows the backdrop, whether he's empathetic to it, whether he knows the whole story behind it. It is just the truth, and if you just deal with the truth and just deal with just that blanket statement that he said, and if we deal with that – then maybe we should, could start solving some issues. Somebody's got to say it. You can't pretend that it doesn't happen. Somebody's got to say it. And my thing is, who, what matters who says it? What matters? It's the truth. I, who cares who I says think it? it does ma- I think it does matter who, ha- who says it because when you make a statement like that, then I need for you to come behind that and kind of give me a bit more explanation of your understanding because all you're doing is speaking of something you're seeing on the surface. And he's right. He probably sees black man after black man come through his courtroom for black-on-black crime. But – when you think about it, why does black-on-black crime exist? Because it's a community that is now starting to feed on itself because of social, economical, political issues. So when you decide you I understand cut out that. the fact that it's a cancer, I think you should speak to things without being honest about there are a lot of issues in this community. He could have been a little bit more, to me, sentimental about it. Like, it's sad that I watched coming from my courtroom black man after black man because of the crime that's happening in the communities. You are extinguishing each other's. Have you ever stopped and said why? How about you just take the whole Black Lives Matter conversation out of it and say it in a different way? I have a problem with that. I really oh, you just wanted him to give him. You just, you just, you, you, you wanted him to give a counseling session. You want him to counsel somebody. You don't like what he said. You just wish he phrased I, it differently. That's not even I'm a just, counseling session. What I said is just as much fact as what he said. But I was a but lot was more nice. specific about it. You know, have why? you ever stopped because to think about why I you kill speak, each other? They don't care why. Have you ever stopped to okay. think? Yeah, so, no. So. Why, then why is he trying to have someone have an epiphany if he knows at the core of it it doesn't matter? Then why say it? Because he can, and it's true. Anyways, well, whatever. People need to stay in their lanes. Stay in your lanes, old man. Anyways, other story. Since everything's okay in the world, let's, let's, for, let's, okay, let's just keep it going then. Because maybe he'll say this to this, force, his, to this first grader. This first grader at some point will end up in this courtroom who was plotting to kill a classmate. With the silica gel packets you find, like, in shoeboxes and stuff. Yeah. His little, his, oh, my God. If you got kids, folks, I'm just telling you. It was the a whole group of them. Hell. 
and a half. Now, mind you, this happened in a very remote place in the United States. It happened in Anchorage, Alaska. I thought all these people up there yeah. on the up and up. I'm serious. But then again, they did elect Sarah Palin, so maybe not. So the story mm-hmm. is coming out that a group of first graders had actually concocted a plan to poison and kill one of their charter school classmates. And the principal, I guess, found out about this. It was three students who obviously since then have the first graders already being suspended. They had planned to use silica gels, a little white packet that say do not consume, dangerous, warning, all that kind of stuff, as a main ingredient because they felt that it was toxic. They were smart enough to say, I think this isn't good because they read do not eat. So from there they thought, okay, this must be toxic. Let's use right. it. Right. They had actually plotted to kill another student at their charter school last week, but one of the students decided to speak up. So what they were going to do is take that that gel packet, and they're saying they're not actually poisonous, but I do believe if you ingest enough of it, it might be bad time. you got to eat a lot of lunchtime, it, though. Yeah, but either way, it's crazy. They yeah. were actually going to take the packet at lunchtime <laughs> and put it into another student's food to poison it. Yeah. These are first graders, people. First graders. First graders. First of all, the fact the fact that they had the wherewithal to connect do not eat must be dangerous. Mm-hmm. We can use this to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Why have we resulted? This is why it bothers me. At six or seven years old, why is murder your way to resolve the issue you have with another person? I, you see where this is now gone? We now kill people yes. to deal with the fact that we don't like them. Yes. We now kill people. So this could be another blanket statement, and if somebody made it, and I say it, and I have children, but somebody without children can say, parents, get a hold of your children. Something is going wrong, and it's starting as early as kindergarten and first grade. They're plotting to kill people. We are losing a grip on our children, and if you make that blanket statement, you don't need to know the backdrop. You don't need to have kids. It's absolutely true. Children are out of control, and parents are walking around like they are oblivious to it, and it needs to be said, and I don't care who says it. Get your children. Wrangle your demons and get them together because they could be in class with my first grader, and I'm going to need you to handle that. You can say it's that. Just, but, but the thing that's so disheartening to me about all of this is that their resolution was to kill someone. What happens yeah. if I'm going to punch you in the nose, Tommy, because I don't like you? Yeah. How did, you, see the, you see the messages now that kids are beginning to collect from what they see in the world around them that yes. to resolve your issues, you should think of killing someone. People, we've gone to a bad place. And I'll be honest, Nikki, I don't know how you come back from where we have now gone. I don't know if there's any coming back from this. And this sad. Parents need to wrangle their demons. Wrangle all, the wrangle all your little demon spawn, and you need to start talking to them. And I mean, seriously, this is a time for a conversation, and it's not like when we were younger. Yes. Like you, it was age appropriate. You could, you, you know, certain things were for specific yes. ages. Like then you start talking. Yes. Eight or nine, you talk about this, and nine and ten, you talk about this, and no. twelve and thirteen. You have to have all these conversations apparently now at a very early age because they are exposed to so much, and parents have to suck it up, and it's no longer an age for it. You have to talk about it when it's relevant. And pretty much everything is on the table now. Everything is on the table. Nothing is about limits. That's what Nikki said. And we're going to take a break and come back (laughs) and say what would Nikki say in the segment where she goes four rounds toe to toe with Dear Abby trying to give Wayward Soul some advice. That's back. Thank you. 
hard on the family home front because this is a scenario okay. that I think many people have experienced before and just choose to ignore it. So let's just see how okay. what you would say to this. Dad isn't subtle about disdain for son. Mm-hmm. Don, my husband, and I have been married for 44 years, and our marriage has had its ups and downs. We are now both retired. The problem is that Don does not get along with our 43-year-old son, let's call him Chris. <laughs> he gets along fine with our two daughters, though. Don and Chris have very different personalities and little in common. Chris lives abroad but visits frequently and stays with us. During his most recent visit, his father was distant and rude to him. It has happened before, and it's hurtful to Chris and to me. I have tried speaking with my husband about it, but he never has a good reason for his behavior. When my mother heard about what happened, she got angry and said, if I don't divorce Don, she doesn't want to see either of us again. Please help me. I don't know what to do. Hurt badly in Oregon. Wait a minute. Okay, I'm I'm drawing a I'm trying so to Chris, get everybody Chris together. Is, Chris is a real son. He's not like a stepson. Okay. So he's know, not a stepchild. Nope. The person who wrote the letter, um, they, she'd been married to her husband for 44 years. Chris is 43, so they had pretty much him, you know, right after they got married. And they also have two daughters. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, his father, her husband, he doesn't like him. And he's very clear and very rude to him. And obviously it's been going on from how she explained this since he's forever. It's never been different. I mean, it's a little late now. I've been married 44 years. If I was going to divorce him, I would divorce him when he didn't like my baby when he was eight. He's a grown man now. You're just dealing with two grown men that don't like each other. And he doesn't live there, so it's not like it's all the time and it's like every dinner and everybody's over every Sunday and it's that kind of thing. Unfortunately, and this is the craziest thing, but even parents don't like their children sometimes. I don't know. I'm not saying this right. I'm not saying this wrong, but he's an adult. (laughs) And you can't change anything. And I don't know why I should have to divorce my husband now, at 44, for my mother, the mother, grandmother said divorce? Yeah, her mother. Is that so what? Yeah, it'd be her mother. Her, yeah, mother. her mother said Oh, she on her way out anyway. She got one foot on the banana. They've been married for 44 years. Grandma on her way out anyway. I'm not doing anything to make grandma happy at this point. You won't be here long enough, <laughs> and then my life is in shambles. Unfortunately, there's nothing she can do about it. Everybody's an adult. Her son is 44. He lives abroad. You just have to deal. Hopefully it's amicable and it's not too tumultuous when the family is together, but you cannot make your husband like that, your son. If he doesn't, you can't change it. And tell grandma to just live the rest of her days in peace and you live the rest of yours in peace and there's nothing you can do about that. Don't divorce anybody. They're adults. All right. Here's what Dear Abby said. After 40 years of marriage, you should have learned by now not to confide your problems in your mother. That your husband seems incapable of tolerating his son because of personality differences is regrettable, but hardly a cause for divorce at this point. If right. Chris stayed in a hotel during his visits rather than your home, it would provide less opportunity for confrontation, and you both might enjoy the visits more. I hope you will consider it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, look, I would, you don't have to divorce anybody. That's crazy. That, that, well, that's stupid, but not just that. You've allowed this to go on. For 43 Thank years. You. So it, what's the point of it now? I mean, at this, I, I, I would say Chris is the one who needs to address his father at this point because they're the ones that have the rift in their relationship. So he should sure. address his father like, I've always felt like you don't, you don't love me, you don't care for me, but clearly you treat me different than you treat my two sisters. He needs to have that conversation now because he's old enough to have it, I would say. 
So, they're adults. And, and I'm like, if you weren't angry about it, if it didn't bother you, I'm mad if somebody, if you didn't like my baby, like my eight-year-old, that's a problem. Yes. If you let it go now and he's an adult, you, you understand this? It is what it is at this Look, point. It's way too late. I'm with you on this. Like, why now? When you didn't do it, when it yeah. probably impacted him more when he was a child, you did nothing. So sure. why now? I'm with you on that. Yeah, I'm leaving this round. She should have addressed it head on when he was a child yes. and she saw the difference he was making. Not now that he's a grown man and can speak for himself. It's a little past the point. Her mom mm-hmm. can go have a seat. I'm with you on that, too. All right. <laughs> round two. Round one goes to Nikki. Unless you agree with me in the chat room, and if you felt Dear Abby somehow was, you know, more on point or you like what she said, you can always say thumbs up, Abby. I'm fine with that. You can weigh in what you want to do. I'm All not right. fine with round it. Round two. <laughs> we know you're not. I'm not. Round two. Oh, this okay. is interesting. This is, this is another okay. parent-child situation. Son's sperm donation provokes mother's ire. My older son came to me nine months ago asking my opinion. He wanted to donate sperm to a black lesbian couple for a fee (laughs) so they could have a biracial child. He told me he needed the money. I told him I didn't approve because they are lesbians. Sorry, I'll be bashed for that statement, but I have to be honest. I have a biracial 10-year-old son, so race isn't the issue. Had it been a heterosexual couple of any race, I would have been okay. However, what I told him was that if he gives up his rights to the child, I, too, won't have grandparent rights. I broke down in tears when he told me all of this. Yesterday, I received a picture of a newborn. It turns out my son donated his sperm knowing how I felt about homosexuality. I have tried hard to always be there for my children, letting them know I love them and doing the best a single mother could do for them. I feel I must have failed horribly in bringing him up to be a better man. I cannot, in our home state, fight for grandparents' rights since since he relinquishes his rights. I'm even more hurt that he would share a picture of my grandson knowing my opinion. I feel horribly disrespected. Am I being overly sensitive? Did I just let it all go? Disrespected in the South. C, C and C, to all of your questions. C, C and C. Yes, you are being, first of all, I don't understand why you made all of this about you. None of this was about you at all. And that's where the problem starts. None of this is about you. We really don't care about how you feel about lesbians. And then why would you want to fight for grandparents' rights when you feel so strongly about a lesbian couple? There's no way that you're not going to invoke your opinions about that on this child at some point. You don't need grandparents' rights. What you need to do and what you need to understand as a parent that even though you chill, and it doesn't mean you failed your child. It sounds like he helped out a couple, and that sounds like a really good thing to me. So I think you raised him right. I think you did not fail. What you are failing at is to support your child no matter what. He's not doing anything wrong. You're not supporting criminal behavior. You're not supporting drugs. You're not supporting anything like that. You just don't agree with a certain lifestyle, and that's not your place. So what you should do is scale it back. You're being too sensitive. It's none of your business. It's not about you. He did it. He was sharing it with you. And as a parent, you're supposed to support that, and that's it. Okay. Okay. Here's what Abby had to say. What's done is done. Your son's sperm is his, and he can do with it it as he wishes. His mistake wasn't asking your opinion and letting you see the picture because of your deep-seated bias against gay couples. I assume you weren't planning on having contact with the baby anyway because of overcoming your intolerance would have been necessary. Your son is an adult, and your blessing was not required. If you continue to hang, hang on to this, it may destroy your relationship with your son, so let it go. 
Okay, you guys hey, yeah. said the same thing. But can I just, I'm going to tell you what bothered me about this whole scenario, seriously. Why do two black people want to have a biracial child? Because that's not, if you both could have, if one of you were male and could have a child, you would have a black child. That is disturbing to me. Because I feel like that's Wait a minute. having a pet. I feel like that's like having a designer child. It's a black, it's a black lesbian couple, two black women, and they wanted a biracial child. And I have a problem with that, Nikki. I have because that makes me feel like you're now you want what you believe is better than what you are. I'm digressing. That bothered me more than him giving sperm to anybody. Because I was what like, if you don't one want someone be you. No, one of them might no, be light. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I what didn't pick up on that. I don't. I don't know. What might that, be light skin? I don't know. Bothered, that bothered me more <laughs> than giving the sperm. Like, so why don't you want sperm from a black man who's like you? Why did you want something different? That gets back to having one might be light skin, and they want a combo. They want a combo. I don't know. What if one's okay, really, really I, that, fair that, skin? Like, we'll get them to look like both. Mm-hmm. Of, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Could be. Could be. Okay. Could anyway, be. that round goes to you. I'll give you that round. Um. Okay. I'll set it. That's a I'll take it. Both of the same thing. All right. Okay. Let's move on to having marital issues. Here we go. Oh, these Lord. ones are some doozies. All right. These two are some doozies. These are these are interesting. Man's conversation okay. in mixed company is noticeably unmixed. My wife and I are friends with a couple we have known for many years. When the four of us eat dinner, it's obvious to me that the husband directs the conversation toward my wife. Even when the topic is general in nature, his eye contact is with her to the point where it makes me uncomfortable. On a cruise last year, we ate dinner together regularly. I intentionally sat across from him, and sure enough, he talked diagonally across the table to my wife. (laughs) I've always made a conscious effort to in mixed company to direct the majority of my conversation towards the male counterpart and not his wife. I feel it's more appropriate. I really don't think there's any threats from him. Maybe he just has bad manners. How should I handle this? Should I ignore it or make him aware of it? Bothered in Alabama. How are you going to be a grown man and sitting here asking and you bothered and somebody's directly talking to your wife and you like, what should I do? That's a grown man conversation that you need to have. Like, um, excuse me, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's four people here and you seem to just only talk to my wife. Now, I'm not threatened by anything. I don't think you're coming on to her, but I just think it's very disrespectful when first and foremost there are other people there and stop talking to my wife like that. I don't disrespect you and directly make Google eyes at your wife and I would appreciate it if you don't do that to mine. And that's just a simple conversation. And if he can't respect that, then you need to find another couple that can keep their eyes locked on their own partner and hang out with them. What are you confused about? That's what you're supposed to do. Or either be, you can't be bothered with that. Just go talk oh, to the man. You you know that men love to covet things. That's it. It's my wife. Look. Like that for. You know what? I'll be honest. And what's weird is I would love to know if his wife notices that. Because, you know, people pick up on things like that. If they feel there's yeah. any form of subtle attraction, they're like, why does he always look at her like that? Why, why is he always at, gravitating always, to that? Everybody is like, why are you looking at her like that? Yeah, all the time. Anybody does it. I don't think it's an insecure thing. It's like, why do you keep doing? Why do you keep keep talking to her? Like, what is that about? All right. Well, here's what Abby had. So he needs to have a conversation. Here's what Abby said. You're bothered. If there is a rule of etiquette covering this, I have never heard of it. You have two choices: continue to ignore it and let it bother you, or ask him why he does it. He may be doing it unconsciously because he finds your wife to be interest to be an interesting conversationalist. She bailed on that. That ain't what. Look, yeah, men, you that's know, not, no. They, it's, it's 
and she knows it's a rule of etiquette. You do not, it you sure don't is. do there's that. You don't yeah, do that. There is. It is. There is. There is. Yes. And I'm getting that round. Yes. She just totally skipped that one. There's a rule of etiquette. If you're in a group conversation, you're supposed to look at multiple people mm-hmm. in the group. You're not yes. supposed to look at just one person. You know, I can, right. I can understand if you look at one person more because they ask the question and you're addressing and you're sure. getting an answer, but you're still supposed to acknowledge there's other people in the group. And FYI, if you're listening Absolutely. to the show and you didn't know that, there are etiquettes in group conversation. You should spread the <laughs> eye contact and comments to others. So, one, someone doesn't feel uncomfortable like, man, I just asked the question, or it doesn't come across like something like this. There is an etiquette, just to let you know that. Yes, right? it is. So, round three goes to Nikki. All right, let's just see if you can take your three butt, or Abby. four on this. <laughs> This one's a okay. tough one now. This one's I, I, okay. I saved the difficult one for last. Married woman Thank you, with Maya. I appreciate is it. happy with things as they are. Wait, I you met say a man what? eight years okay. ago. Married, married woman with lover is happy uh-huh. with things as they are. I met Boom, a man eight years ago who has become everything to me. We see each other weekly okay. and discuss life, work, home, and more. We are both married to other people. Our relationship is not only emotional, but it's also physical. We are secretive mm-hmm. by our relationship only with our children. We appear in public together, and my spouse knows about it. Many people at our regular venues comment on how much in love we seem to be. A few of my friends are privy to our relationship and wonder when we're leaving our spouses to be together. My question is, can it just be okay to be happy with what we have? We enjoy our time. We travel, talk, and love. I'm virtually ignored by my spouse as he is. The time he has been in my life is the happiest I've ever been, but I don't want more. It's hard to explain. People think I'm in denial, but I'm not. He has issues. I wouldn't want full-time, as I suppose everyone else does. I wouldn't want to ruin what we have. Thoughts, part-time lover. So you got two people who are marriages that don't seem to be happy with, but they like what they have and they want to keep it that way. It looks like people are scrutinizing it. And I'm asking, what is the problem? You couldn't sweeten this deal more unless one of the partners was Oprah Winfrey herself. What is the problem? The only thing left for you to do is play Powerball and win. You are winning. What are you asking? I don't get what's the problem. I see no problem at all. The only thing that she mentioned was her, she said they shared the spouses. No, are you kidding me? I don't know where her issue is, unless it's the children, and she says she's keeping it separate from the children, but you should keep it separate from the children. That's none of their business. I mean, what are you afraid of? They're going to run into you in the bar when you're hanging out? So this is a win-win all the way around. I have no idea what her problem is. You're fine. Look, and if you're worried about your friends, don't. I keep telling people, stay out of people's marriages. You don't, What works for some people may not work for other people. So it's not conventional. It's not what we're used to in the norm of society. I get that, but it's your marriage. And if everybody's cool with it, you deserve to have the life that you have. Kudos to you. This is a sweet deal. Don't worry about anything. Don't disrupt right. anything. Nothing is disrupted. Don't worry about anything. Carry on. Go forth and conquer. Wow. All right. I know we have some fellas in the chat room. I would they love to say. know. <laughs> your thoughts on this? Go ahead. You know, I'm going to read what Dear Abby says, and you guys kind of weigh in what you think. All right, so Dear Abby says, Dear part-time, you and your lover have an arrangement that seems to work not only for you but also for your spouses. It's unconventional, to put it mildly. Because you are so open about it, I'm surprised your children haven't caught wind of it by now. My question to you would be what you and this man plan to do when they find out, because I don't think you can keep it in the dark forever. 
No, 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 no. Depending upon how old her children are, children don't have to know about that. You can't hang out at the house and have them at the house and in places where your children are. But as long as you are willing to be discreet and you want to protect your children, I absolutely think you should. I mean, being open is cool, but you don't expose children to things like that. It's just unnecessary at this point. Your kids don't have to know. If they're children, if they're adults, they might run into you out on the town. But if they're children, let adults do what adults do. What is Abby talking about? Their children won't have you know, to find out about this unless they want you know, them I'll to. Give, look, I, I'll give this to you on this. She posed a question that eventually I'm sure both of them know they're going to have to deal with. I'm sure they're not oblivious to it. Um, it's interesting because it is, it is unconventional, and normally I'd be like, oh, my God, this is an absolute atrocity. But at the same time, if both your spouses know about this and they're yeah. okay with it, then it is what it is. Everybody involved right. has no problem with it. It's only a problem if you're doing this in the dark and your spouse doesn't know. But since the spouse right. knows and obviously co-signs on it, then it is what it is. At that point, you right. can't say anything about it. So interesting. All right, I give that round to you. So this you is three deal. Four. Again, you remain undefeated. Undefeated. <laughs> I am killing at this. I should just take right. over her column at this point. We don't even need her at this should. point. You need to start your own <laughs> column. Well, hey, in the chat room, give him free. Said, hey, at some point the kids will know. I agree. And you just have to be prepared to explain it. Now, what she didn't tell us is how old our kids are. Like, we don't know. Are they teenagers? Yeah. Are they, See, if they're know, they young? Yeah. We don't, we don't know. And obviously she's, she's chose, she has a separate life, literally what it is. Right. So mm-hmm. she may, you know what this sounds like, not to be funny, it's kind of like the Bridges of Madison County, if you've ever seen that movie, about how yes. she had this secret romance and her kids only found out about it when she died and read her, like, her diary. And they were right. floored because right. they thought their parents had the happiest marriage ever. That's what it reminds me of. I know people. Yes, people live like this all the time. The kids will be fine. They won't know until the funeral. Everybody finds out at the funeral. That's when you find out. They'll be fine. They'll be dead at the funeral. All right, everybody. That wraps up what the Nikki says. We're going to take our final break of the show and move to the last segment, Celebrity Talk and the Side Eye. We're going to have to talk about it. Somehow, Cat Williams has made it into the conversation (laughs) more than twice in a month. And this one, this one is a doozy for me because – I don't know if there should be a sense of alarm with this or if you just say he's doing some of this stuff for attention. I'll be curious what people think about this. I don't know. It kind of seems attention-seeking a little bit. I'll let you guys tell me what you think about it. All right. Sit tight. It's the Mario Kaiser Unplugged featuring Mr. Brayden, everybody. We'll be right back.
Okay. Really terrible news today. Yesterday, Party Next Door stirred up a storm when he posted a photo of himself in bed with Kalani. The picture became a huge topic of conversation because the two singers had reportedly broken up and Kalani was most recently linked to Cavaliers point guard Kyrie Irving. Naturally, lots of people had something negative to say about it on social media and about Kalani specifically because... You know, slut-shaming only applies to women. P&D eventually removed the photo, and Kalani temporarily deleted her Instagram account, but she was still trending on Twitter for hours afterwards. Then, late last night, she shared some really sad news from a hospital bed. Kalani posted a photo with an IV in her arm with the caption, Today I wanted to leave this earth, being completely selfish for once. Never thought I'd get to such a low point. But don't believe the blogs you read. No one was cheated on, and I'm not a bad person. Everyone is hurt, and everyone is in a place of misunderstanding. But as of today, I had no single wish to see tomorrow. But God saved me for a reason, and for that, I must be grateful, because I'm not in heaven right now for a reason. Early this morning, she posted another photo showing party next door at her bedside with the caption, Thank you for saving my life. This is all very unfortunate, and it's absurd that Kalani even has to defend herself from all of this negativity. Hopefully she's feeling better after getting plenty of love and support from her friends, and maybe terrible things like this will show people the destructive power of online trolling and negativity. That's all the okay. news for now, but subscribe to Complex on YouTube for all of your updates. I'm Nadeska Alexis for Complex News. All right, so with Complex News, you can go to Complex.com and check it out. Okay, so um, I guess I'm about to be one of those negative people because all I saw this was, Nikki, was a PR stunt. Because mm-hmm. suicide, I'll explain to people, when people really mean to commit suicide, they get it right. They don't make right. mistakes. They get it, they get it right. right. I don't know who huh? Kalani is, and I don't Kuk- know who, I don't know Kuk- who Kuk- Party Next Door is either. So hence, that right there is out of my scope. But <laughs> I, keep thinking, I kept thinking Kalanik. But anyway, that's another story. But here's two people I have no idea who they are. And I'm going to tell you this. I honestly believe if this isn't a social media stunt to get more people to know who you are, because let me get this right, the very person who drove you to decide you wanted to take your life and we don't know actually what you did, we don't know, shows up at your bedside. So what if he puts a picture of the two of you in bed together? Your response can be, um, you miss me that much? That's really sad. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. this whole conversation about slut-shaming, which we're not going to get into, I'm going to say that for Friday. Because it's a okay, conversation perfect. that's worthy of its own segment, and it's a Friday conversation. So FYI, as you prepare for Friday's show, I want to give you some homework. I want you to go to UrbanDictionary.com, and I want you to look up the definition of slut-shaming, okay? So then when we get into the conversation on Friday, you will already be in the know about the topic we're going to talk about. Or Google it. You can Google it, and it'll come up. Be prepared. Up I, just have, I, just, I just happen to enjoy Urban Dictionary for some reason. It's my go-to source. Anyways, for for anything that is ethnic or urban, I'm going to Urban Dictionary first, and then I'll I'll go to Google after that. But anyways, so she does a stunt, says she commits suicide. FYI, we really don't know if she did or didn't. I'm going to tell you, I work in an emergency room and deal with this. The concept of suicide is loose. Um, Just because you take three Tylenol is not going to kill you. So you could say you want to kill yourself. We're looking at you like, hmm. You can take that many right. in one hour, and it's okay. So I, I don't know what she did, but I just hate for people like this to be in front of young people. You know what I mean? Because then she tries to come yeah. back at social media and, thank God I'm here. You know, obviously it wasn't time for me to be in heaven. Well, if you're a Christian, you were going to hell because you tried to take your own life. But uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is I don't like this kind of behavior. It's glorification of what's – this is what's wrong in the world. This is where social media has gone wrong, right here. No need for any of this to be in front of people. It's far as I'm concerned. 
I get and it's attention and and young kids are impressionable and when you do things like this and it's a cry for attention it's a cry for help and then you get followers and you get likes and then you're trending what message is that sending to young impressionable minds you're absolutely right this is where social media fails us but it's nothing we can do about that because we're talking about Kukula so apparently it worked we're talking about Kukula. it I don't even know Kukula what you and I'll <laughs> and, and interesting so you have Chris Brown has come out and he said now obviously he knows who she is he goes this is nothing more than attention seeking. Now, that's, a, that's See? Of who's in the industry with you. So and coming from Chris here, Brown. Right. So right, who shouldn't Brown. say anything about anybody, to be honest. He should just come yeah. out of business. Yeah. But apparently there's a, there's a pattern of behavior here. And I'm like, but I hate that people like this have influence over young people. And then you try sure. to come back and, and talk like all of a sudden now – I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> All of the, you know, sunrise. Yeah, okay, I was about to quote a song. I'm serious. It bothers me because our young folks are impressionable by, by somebody like this. They are. And all of a sudden, now you're putting out there that suicide could be the answer when the world or things don't go your way. B.S. Not a good role model. Not cool. And this is when social media loses any relevance for me. Because if I'm really in the hospital uh, with IV, I really don't want anybody to know what I did, to tell you the truth. No. I don't. Not anything I don't like that. I want you to know that I did that. Not anything like that. No. Speaking of shameless self-promotion, and you just wonder if it's gotten to the point where just give me my 15 minutes of fame, let me stay relevant no matter what I could do. Cat Williams, let's see, first, he punches a store clerk in Jacksonville, Florida, after an altercation in a store. Then he gets beat up by what? A 17-year-old in a video. <laughs> no, he got wrapped up. He got wrapped up okay. by a little boy. So, yes. Okay. Yes, he got handled. Which, I'm, I'm sorry. Yep. I am starting to believe, Nikki, all of this is staged. I'm coming to believe this. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. what's being reported about Cat Williams, who I don't think he needs a psyche, though. I think he's purely just working this to his advantage. It's being reported his family are really concerned about his behavior, and they're really asking him to seek professional help, which means counseling or something like that, because it's being reported okay. one of his family members found him naked and covered in chocolate earlier in the month. What happens if he's just a freak? What about that? What happens if what you want to be a Kit Kat? Kit Kat Williams. You want to Kit Kat Williams? Really? I mean, is, I mean, honestly, first of all, I'm like, I start asking you know. questions. Wait a minute, I start asking questions. Like, well, wait, wait. What, like, huh? what kind of chocolate? I was like, what kind of chocolate are we talking about? And like, how much was there? I'm like, I need, I need some, I need details. Just. In, was he just in bed naked oh. and had a chocolate bar in his hand and something else in the other <laughs> hand? Or was he, like, really covered? Like, he did chocolate. chocolate I love it. And then he, like, I, love I mean, it. what are we talking here? I need details. Because otherwise, he might have just been out living out a fantasy or something. I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so, of course. That cracked me up. The alleged oh. incident makes it to the media, as it always does with Cat Williams. And now he's back in the media again. Like, what? He's managed to get press coverage, what, over the last three weeks? Like, consistently? I mean, every as, other day. As it's he's, every as other he's day. On tour, and he's on tour. Every other day. Yeah. I'm telling you, all this stuff is staged. It really is. Because here's the thing. He has no problem talking about any of this when he does his stand-up. So, to me, I think he's just creating material. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, at this point, because there material. seems to be no consequences of him. You I mean you just can't walk around yeah. punching people and even and your cat Williams. I mean, you punch me, whether it hurt or not, or whether you lost at the end. I'm still suing you. You understand what I mean? It just seems because exactly. there's no consequences of this. You're just punching people and nobody's saying anything. That's a meal ticket. You absolutely That's can't punch ticket. me, whether it hurt or not. You can't do that. You're going. Um, I'm suing you. 
Yeah, I, I really, I'm serious. You understand? I think he's yeah. Doing all, he's doing it all because it's material. And you're right, there's been no consequences. You assaulted, you got into mm-hmm. an altercation with a minor. You assaulted a woman, right. allegedly, but yet there's been no charges. So I just feel all right. this stuff is truly staged. Like, getting, we're getting punks, people. Cat Williams is punking everybody. He's punking <laughs> everybody is what this really is. All right. We have come to the wall. Our time is no. up. We, may, we must say farewell adieu, but never fear. We'll be back on Friday. No. Remember, we'll be on from noon to two, noon to two or every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, noon to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're here. If you miss any shows, check out the podcast right here on Blog Talk, or you can go to the iTunes Store podcast section, search Maya Kai Presents, or go to my website, mayakai.com. Nikki, if people want to connect the dots with you when we are not on air, where can they find you? I am Nikki Braden on Facebook, the Nikki Braden on Instagram, still Twitter bitter. You can also pop over to NikkiBraden.com. You can find me there. And if anybody is in Chicago, let me just say this really quick. Tonight you should be at the M Lounge from 7 o'clock to 12 o'clock. It's DJ Brian Sale's birthday. Everybody will be there. Brian, I will be there. Happy birthday. So you can buy me a drink for your birthday. That's how I roll. Everybody else is not in Chicago. If you get the opportunity, please do something nice today, and we will see you on Friday. We'll see you on Friday. Everybody, don't forget, do your homework. When you come back Friday, you need to know what slut shaming is. All right, until then, everybody enjoy your Wednesday. Follow Maya on Twitter at The Maya Akai Show, on Instagram at Maya Akai, and friend her on Facebook. Social media is bringing us all closer together. The Maya Akai Show. Radio never looks so good. Eh, I'm going to retweet this.